Hey, welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm Bruce Waller, your host, where I'm getting to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our communities. How did they get started? And what are they doing to stay on track as leaders? And today, I have a very special guest. I'm getting to talk to Diane Sanford. She is the Chief People Officer at On the Border Mexican Restaurants. Uh, she also is certified in HR with a PHR from HRCI, as well as her SHRM CP from SHRM. And I am excited to have you on the show today. Hey, Diane. Hey, Bruce. Thanks so much for making time to chat. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation. At first, I want to. I want to give a quick shout out to a mutual friend who introduced us uh, not too long ago, and that's Callie Miller from High Profile Staffing, and I, I'm just so grateful that she introduced us. Oh, me too. Thanks for giving her a shout out. Callie is just one of those great people, good-hearted, do anything for you. Uh, she and everybody at High Profile are, are really great partners. So if anybody isn't familiar with them, I'd encourage them to, to get that way because they'll really help you out when you need it. Yeah, I got to know, I've uh, gotten to know Bronwyn and, and Callie and the whole team through Dallas HR. I actually saw Callie yesterday on the Collin County HR meeting. So, uh, yeah, grateful for her and that entire team. And so we're going to talk leadership today. And I absolutely cannot wait. Uh, but I like to start the show uh, by just having our guests just, just share their story. And, and I would love for you, Diane, to share your story on uh, you know, where did, where did you grow up and how in the world did you get into HR? <laughs> oh, it's a windy road. Uh, so the Diane Sanford story might be a short film, but, uh, you know, I, I moved around quite a bit as a kid. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of that. Uh, if anybody's old enough to know what that reference means, you know, I think I just dated myself there. But I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, lived there until I was about seven years old. A lot of my family is still there. My parents were born there. Uh, both of them and, and I are uh, Italian. And so, you know, my grandparents came over uh, from Italy. So my parents were first-generation Americans. And interesting thing about my folks, which says a lot about who I am and my work ethic and, and what's important to me is their families didn't know each other, but they were born at the same hospital. They had the same baby doctor um, and they met uh, at a theater, at a movie theater, when they both worked there as ushers and usherettes when my dad came back from World War II and they were married for 64 years. So I've got uh, deep Italian roots and I was born in the Midwest, moved moved to Chicago, Illinois when I was around seven, I'm the youngest of four girls. So, uh, you know, my dad was as sane as he possibly could be with four daughters. And he worked for Sears at the time when we moved to Chicago. He was one of the first people to work in the Sears Tower, which was at that time a building in Chicago. So just a little bit of Midwest history. Then when I was 12, around uh, the mid-70s, for anybody who was around then, there was a recession. And 
we ended up, the three of us, my three sisters were older and were kind of carrying on with their lives. We moved to California. My dad's family was out there and he went to work with one of his cousins. And so from that point on, I was 11, maybe. I was a California girl, grew up in San Gabriel Valley. And I think that, you know, that environment with the background of Midwestern values, I guess, sort of shaped who I am uh, from a work ethic and uh, social point of view. So I really, I grew up out there. And then when I was in my mid twenties, I had a couple of sisters migrate to Dallas and my parents retired. So we decided we'd bring the gang back together and moved here. And I've been here ever since that was the late eighties. And that's where I really started my career. So in California, I worked in a couple of restaurants while I was going to school and I can't say I fell in love with it then, but uh, transferred to to Dallas and uh, started working at Federal Home Loan Bank. Then I went to a law firm downtown that was one of the bigger ones, Thompson and Knight at the time. And that's where I think I really learned about the importance of culture. So I have a lot of attorney friends and I love them a lot. The culture of a law firm, when you're not an attorney, it really just wasn't for me. So I had a good, good friend of mine who knew a recruiter at this little restaurant company called Brinker and they had an opening in the legal department. So I applied for the job and was lucky enough to get it. And from there started a really long, fantastic voyage of learning and growth at Brinker International, which as you know, is the parent company of Chili's. But at that time it had nine brands and Chili's was just one of them. And so after a couple of years in the legal department, you know, culture was a big deal at Brinker. They had a lot of get togethers. They were a very social restaurant, hospitality people are very social. So I got to know the only employee relations manager at the time. And she had the best stories. Her world was very interesting. I dealt in documents with landlords in the legal department and she dealt with people. So the first chance I got, I transferred into the HR department. And I don't know if today I would have the same opportunities to repeat that learning journey that I had back then, but it, she took me under her wing and just let me work on projects that I don't know that I'd give a newbie today. Things like, oh, why don't you help us with this EEOC investigation and talk to people and um, ask them questions. And I found out that my, you know, natural ability and gravitation towards problem solving, I really liked working with people and understanding why people do what they do and how to bring people together with situations that will make them better. And that just kind of started the journey. And from there I had 
the opportunity to work in as a generalist on the corporate side. And I did almost everything you could do in human resources and worked my way up. And all the way into the early 2000s, I was a corporate director of HR for Brinker International, one of the best companies around and had the opportunity to move into the Chili's brand as a regional HR director. And that was fun because I really learned where the money was made. And I got an appreciation for how hard people really worked. I always knew because I worked in the restaurants, but until you are in the restaurants often and see the ebb and flow of a day in the life, do you, do you rarely get a sense for how many hats restaurant managers wear and how difficult and fun and exciting what they do really is. So I did that for a little while. And, um, you know, from there, I just had the opportunity to go into Texas Land and Cattle and Lone Star as somebody who could maybe make a positive difference in that world and stayed there for a handful of years and then had the opportunity to join on, on the border, which isn't really rejoining because there was a completely different ownership group, but it was a brand that I loved. It was uh, one of my favorite brands ever that I got to work with. The people were extremely passionate about each other, what they did and, and how they made the guests feel. And to be a part of it and have the opportunity to make a positive impact on the brand was an opportunity I couldn't really couldn't refuse. So that's that's the the story. That's the Reader's Digest version of of how HR. I love it. That's your story. And you're sticking to it. I, I it love is. I, you know, uh, the couple of things. Number one, I've been to Kansas City once, and I went to a football game in in uh, I think it was in December, and it was the coldest day ever <laughs> for there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I was thinking about you know you're talking about Brinker, and I was thinking about how small the Brinker world is. So uh, on one of my episodes, I got to uh, interview Tony Bridwell. Of course, we both know Tony. Um, I'm actually yep. uh, going to be uploading a podcast um, from uh, another one of the uh, guests we have that was with Brinker. My children worked for Brinker in the Lake Dallas. Uh, actually, it's Hickory Creek area. And yeah. that was such a fun place to be back in the day. I mean, it's several, several years ago since my kids graduated, but I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of uh, On the Border. And so... Um, I knew I knew I was going to enjoy this podcast today and and talking to you and so uh, that's incredible. I was actually thinking about the uh, the time when uh, you connected with that HR leader and I loved how you talked about how she shared stories. That that that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And 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 so I was just wondering. So as you as you've navigated through and kind of you know to the chief people officer. Uh, was there a like was was that the moment when you said, "Hey, this is this is what I'm this is what I'm going to do"? That I, 
or, or was there something even that happened later that like validated saying, you know what, I'm in my lane. I just, I just love this. Wow. That's a really good question. And, you know, I can tell you while I was in the thick of it, I don't know that I actually thought about my work in that way. But what I will tell you is I fell in love with the work because it was always different. Every day was something new. And no matter how much you know, even today, no matter how much you think you know, there's always something, always something you can learn. And I think, you know, there was a, a couple of pivotal moments and things that still connect me to people today who I worked with back then. And for me, when I knew I was doing something that was special, was in those moments when I had people come to me who were sad or feeling disconnected or had a work-related situation that they needed help with. And it was in those one-on-one -on -one conversations where I could listen and really make a difference to that one person and make it a little bit better for them that I got the most gratification. I got the most satisfaction at the end of the day that, you know what, I did something good today. And I did a lot of good work. I think I was part of a lot of really interesting programs and projects while I was there. A lot of really smart people came through that company. But in the moments where I was able to have a conversation with someone who was tossing around a situation in their mind and they needed somebody who they could trust, who they could talk to, that's that's what was really special to me and and to to know that somebody trusted me with something so close to their heart was powerful for me and i i res i tried to respect that keep every confidence and uh really do my best for that person and i think i think in those moments i knew i was in the right place the journey to a leadership role, I don't think it was something I aspired to or really wanted until I had already had some success and been sort of in the functional area for probably seven or eight years. You know, I, I was fortunate enough that people bosses wanted to give me more responsibility and I eagerly took it. But I don't think I really aspired to and had the confidence in myself to know that, you know what, I could probably take this small work group and lead, lead a few ideas and, and make a difference. So it wasn't until much later that I got a little bit of confidence and, and believed in myself that I, I could actually have a leadership position and, and do it well. I love uh, you. Uh, you shared uh, the the part about trust, and uh, you know I'm I'm a values driven leader as well. And I think we both you know trust is the foundation of leadership. 
And, and you know, I was thinking about how you're telling that journey. And I read something, uh, there was actually a quote I had read on your LinkedIn profile and it says, our guests will never have a greater experience than the one we create for our team members. Absolutely. And, and as you're telling that story, I'm sitting there going, man, she is creating an incredible experience for her team with trust. And so I was just curious, like, so you, you've navigated now, now you're the leader, you're the CPO. What are, what are some of the, the, the things that uh, you're, you're most proud of uh, when it comes, when it comes to that? Again, I would say, you know, it, I think leaders have a responsibility to, to think about the impact of the decisions they make. You know, the last few months were such a great example of how leaders have to come together and quickly make decisions in a vacuum, really not knowing, honestly, what we were doing in the COVID, initial phases of COVID. But the impact of the decisions we made as a small team early on, mid-March, late March, those decisions impacted lives. And so in, in my role, I really have to believe that the things that I stand for that are important to me, you know, that people get treated fairly and know where they stand and know what they uh, what's expected of them. People in my role really need to take that seriously. And for me, when I think about the decisions and the conversations I have with people on my leadership team or people in our restaurants, I think about the decisions. You know, when people ask me a question, hey, can we do this? Or what do you think of that? You really have to be thoughtful and not give a flip answer because at the end of that decision are, is somebody's life. And, and, you know, we're tacos and margaritas and we're fun. And so I don't want to make it sound like these are life and death decisions, but when people choose to come to work at On the Border, you know, I want it to be a place where they can work, grow and stay. And if I'm part of the decisions that impact how they experience life when they come through our doors, you know, then I, I take that pretty seriously. So. That's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. I, I love that. Uh, being mindful, being mindful and, and being a good listener. Uh, that, that helps me kind of, I want, I want to navigate over to, you know, we're talking leadership here. Uh, you've worked with a lot of, I mean, great leaders over the course of your career. Uh, I would just love for you to maybe share, maybe what are some uh, common traits of some of those leaders and maybe something you've taken away that's helped you be a better leader? Oh, wow. You hit the nail on the head. I was so fortunate to have the opportunity to work with some really great people who were mindful and purposeful about kind of what they did. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's okay to say a couple of names, but some of the first... Please do. I would love to hear, I would love to hear. <laughs> My first real example of who I thought embodied real authentic leadership. You know, I was lucky enough 
to be able to um, get some exposure to Norman Brinker. And I had just really started there and we were in maybe two buildings. They ended up having four buildings on their corner in Dallas. And he was in role, he was still the president and he would walk around and he would chitty chat with everybody who came, who came in his path. And I'll tell you what, Bruce, he remembered your name. He learned your family. He learned about your kids. And he remembered he would keep a placeholder some miraculous way of the last conversation he had with you. And then he would pick up right where you guys left off the next time he walked by. And it was amazing to me that he had that ability. He was super nice, super, you know, there's a million Norman stories, but what I noticed most about him was that it didn't matter what role you had. To him, you were a person and you mattered just as much as anybody who sat in an office and he took the time to talk with you. And then right on the heels of that, you know, was Doug Brooks. Another very authentic, friendly, funny leader who, you know, had a little bit of mischievous twinkle in his eye and same deal, man, he would remember your name and every time he saw you, he'd ask about, he'd ask about my husband, he'd ask about my kids and he'd ask about them by name. And I think that's a superpower because I don't have that superpower. But what I learned from those two and from the other leaders I got to work with, women and men, uh, you know, another young lady who had a big impact on me was Kelly Belade. And she and I have been, uh, our careers have touched one another off and on for, since, you know, the late 90s. She was my boss a couple of times. She's been a mentor. She's my friend. And there, there were a lot of other people who, like Kelly, took an interest in me and took time to teach. So that's what I think when I think of a true leader and what I've tried to challenge myself to be is somebody who looks people in the eye and pauses and has a genuine conversation with somebody. Hey, how are you? How's your mom? I remember she had surgery. Hey, how's your dog? How's your kids? Um, you know, try to remember a little bit about what they like. Did you see Game of Thrones last week? You know, that kind of thing. Um, we won't talk about season eight. And um, just somebody who is authentic, who cares about people and who will listen. I also think leadership means being honest. And so if somebody isn't hitting the mark, um, giving them the feedback, need to hear that will make them better, I think is also something good leaders do. But the biggest thing, the, the most important thing when I think about the commonality that every mentor I've had and the, the three people I mentioned by name was they 
took time and take time to pay it forward. So any opportunity or request that I get from anybody to help them out or give advice, I really, you know, they're, I'm not perfect and there have been folks who I haven't been able to connect with. So I don't want to be telling stories uh, on myself, but, you know, I think when you can, if you can help someone or teach them something or give them access to information that they wouldn't otherwise have, then that's, that's what you should do. And I've seen a lot of examples of that. So that's when I look in the mirror every day, I think about how did I do? What did I do today? I'm a natural introvert. I run out of words every day by the time I get home from work. You know, I don't have a whole lot left. And so it, I have to be purposeful about walking around and talking to people and really flipping that switch on when I'm in the restaurants because it takes a lot of energy from me. Um, but it's worth it. Uh, I, I would say the three people I mentioned are extroverts, so it probably came a little more naturally to them. But I don't think, you know, regardless of that, that kind of thing, if you're in a position where you could help someone out, help them grow their career or help them learn something, then that's, that's what you should be doing. And that's what I try to do. Man, that is fantastic. I, um, I actually got to meet Kelly. She was the keynote speaker at the Meeting of the Minds conference. I think it was a couple of years ago. I think Sean Self puts that conference yep. on and that was fantastic. Yeah. And I got to uh, spend just a couple of minutes with her. Uh, wow. Uh, when she's, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, she's amazing. She's, she's amazing. Yeah, she, um, when, I, when I was thinking about her and I was thinking about Doug and Norman as you're telling this story, um, I'm thinking about um, what John Maxwell shared, what his dad taught him as a leader. And he says he taught him to walk slowly through the crowd. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what they're doing. They're walking slowly through the crowd. They're connecting with people. Um, they're, they're just, just getting to know people on a personal level because at the end of the day, it's, you know, people doing business with people. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? It absolutely is. And I, I say this all the time too, you know, we're in a pe in the people business. We just happen to serve food. So nothing happens in our business, good or bad, unless people are involved. And so when you think about getting results, and how much labor we allot in a restaurant or what marketing promotion we're, we're going to talk about. It takes people to make those things happen. And so when you think about how important communication is or connecting with people and helping them understand the why behind the what, it's pretty important, pretty important. And so for me to be, you know, I when I think about how I, how I grew up and where I came from um, and where my parents uh, grew up, sort of their, their origins, I guess, origins, a little Midwest coming out there. Um, I am so thankful every day 
to have the opportunities I've had. I mean, I couldn't have written it better. That's so cool. That's so cool. Gratitude. I absolutely love that. So, I mean, as a leader, you can't do it all yourself. It takes a team. Oh, gosh. It yes, takes it a does. team. And I'm just curious, you know, I, I served for many years on the uh, Dallas HR board. I served as president in 2012. Then I served on the board of trustees. Uh, and I remember serving as the chairman of the board for several years. And I always like to get uh, perspective from leaders on uh, their thoughts around high performing teams. So I was just curious, you know, what do you think it takes to have a high performing team? You hit the nail on the head. Uh, a leader can only do so much. And the thing a leader should do is remove the obstacles for their team and get out of their way and let them do what they're, uh, what they're good at. High performing teams, um, you know, we talked about a little earlier, you've, they've got to trust each other. There's got to be that trust and transparency. You can't, in the absence of fear, right? If, if we're going to work closely together and go into battle every single day, then you've got to call me on my stuff and know that I'm not, nothing's going to happen to you. And I've got to be able to call you on your stuff and we got to work through that and then get over it. And so that foundation of trust, knowing that and knowing and believing in good intentions from the start. I may not know why you did something, but I believe you had good intentions. So I'm not going to get mad. We're just going to talk about it. That, that's a key component in high performing teams. I think looking for people to be part of a team who have complementary skill sets and complementary um, strengths, you know, diversity in a team. We, we don't all have to be extroverts. We don't all have to be great communicators. Maybe one of us is a really good writer and another one is a really good uh, verbal communicator. Um, Maybe somebody's really good at math. I've known a lot of really good CFOs who I couldn't have lived through my jobs without, which is a good thing because math is not one of my, my strengths. So I think you've got to be able to trust the people that you work with. There has to be diversity of thought, not just diversity in the obvious ways that we're, we talk about so much, but diversity of thinking, different perspectives and experience make you better. And you've got to share a belief in the goal. So you have to agree on teams who really work well together, get charged up because they believe in the goal they're going after and they believe in how they're going to get there. Um, everybody wants to make a lot of money or sell the most widgets. But I think the how you get there is just as important as the what. And so that's where, if you're talking about a workplace, that's where culture comes in, right? Or even a sports team. If you know your kids were on a sports team, if the coach set the tone that you agreed with and created an environment for your kids that was healthy and positive, you were, you were cool with that coach pushing your kids hard. Um, but if 
you know, same, same for grownups in a, in a workplace. If, if the leader sets the right tone, then it's okay if they hold you accountable or set a high bar because the how they bring you along means they're bringing you along with respect, you trust each other, and there are a lot of different ideas that come together to make you all better. So if I had to pick three things, it would be those, you know, respect for who the people are, who the players are, trust that everybody has each other's back and that there's honesty involved, transparency, and that you agree on how you're gonna get there, right? If we're gonna go on a long road trip together, we better all like the car that we're in. I love that analogy. I'm sitting here thinking about some of my road trips taken with my family. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh man, what a bitful. That is fantastic. I, I'll tell you that that is gold right there. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, uh, you know, I um, I started a, a a leadership community called Climb. Uh, stands for Connect, Lead, Inspire, Mentor, and Build. And there's a lot of young HR professionals in this community uh, slash book club. And mm -hmm. a lot of them are always wondering, um, and I'm going to ask this question, see if you can maybe help me uh, answer this question is, what are some things that you see young professionals are doing well uh, in the workplace that you say, you know what, they're going to they're gonna continue to move up because they're doing these things or they're behaving this way? Um, and then uh, kind of to expand on that, the question I really want to answer is, you know, a lot of times... Uh, it seems like people get frustrated because uh, let's say the C-suite doesn't grab their ideas. What, what are some different ways that young professionals, what are they doing and, and how can they, I'm going to call it sell up or get mm -hmm. buy-in uh, from the C-suite? Any thoughts on that? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, of course I've got thoughts on that. Um, you know, I think the things that young professionals are doing well is they're coming well armed into the workforce because of the product of all of the experiences they've had throughout their their life you know they've had exposure to 24 7 news cycle they're used to taking in and assimilating a lot of different types of information and sorting through it and prioritizing which is what you do at in your job and so they've already got that muscle built in terms of how to filter through what's important. And so I think, you know, they're bright, they're smart, they're articulate. And I see so much really good talent coming, coming through organizations right now. And I'm blown away, honestly, by all the strengths and skills that they have. Um, so get ready, world, you know. I think, I think the things that everybody needs to know kind of when they first start presenting or sharing ideas or trying to get their idea approved with senior leadership, there's a couple of things. And I don't know that I ever really thought about this either. I wish somebody would have told me. Was, you know, these are really busy people really busy people and they have everyone in the organization asking them for five minutes and so 
they probably know a little bit about what you're about to come talk to them about. So respect their time, really go through your material and make it as concise as you can, get to the point really quickly. Um, think about the end in mind, right? What do you want these folks walking away knowing, thinking, doing? And what do you want out of them? And start with that, right? Give them an executive summary and say, hey, I know you're really busy. I appreciate your time. I want to talk to you today about X, Y, or Z. Here's why I think it's going to benefit the company and I'm going to bring you, I have all the information you could ever want. So you tell me how much information you want. A lot of C-level senior leaders are drivers, A-type personality, and they've got short attention spans. So they'll interrupt you and don't let that uh, throw you off your game. So I think be prepared, know your stuff. But a secret that I'll share is, you know, for every good idea, there's going to be somebody who thinks differently about that good idea. And so anticipate the opposition. One thing I always used to do, I had a customer, somebody who, uh, one of the departments that I supported as a generalist, who was the biggest naysayer of anything HR rolled out ever. And I really liked him a lot and we had a good working relationship and I knew he was going to ask all the hard questions and try to blow holes in whatever it is we were trying to do. So I would reach out to him first and I would say, hey, I wanna get your opinion. This is what we're thinking about doing. Tell me why it's a dumb idea. And boy, he would, he really didn't have any problem with that. And so he helped me quite a bit because he played devil's advocate for me. And so by the time I got to where I really had to talk about it and sell it, I answered those arguments before they could be raised. And that helped me so much refine how I influenced people because influencing is a skill that you really need to have if you're going to grow your career because you there's very, very little that you have a singular authority to make a decision over as in any job. And you always have to bring other people along or convince people of this or that. And you have to be ready to influence the way people think, feel, and act. And so I, I say, which I'm doing a terrible job of right now, but I'd say be concise, uh, get to the point, and uh, you know, be prepared. That, that is absolutely fantastic. I love when uh, guests share secrets. And so, <laughs> that's um, a secret, yeah. no, you know, I, I talk a lot about uh, anticipating. I think that's important. But, you know, you, you really touched on something that is powerful, and that is about influencing others in the organization. And I love how you reached out to find a champion in the organization. So that way, when the idea came to the table, you've already got someone that he's not going to, you know, blow holes in anymore because he's helped you shape it. And that is a fantastic uh, strategy. 
Absolutely. Never, never walk into a meeting where you're going to sell something for the first time where you don't know how it's going to be perceived, right? Ask some questions beforehand, run it by a couple of people, uh, be prepared. Don't ever walk into a meeting cold and just drop an idea because you just don't know, right? You just don't know how people are going to react. So um, influencing is a, is a really important thing for people to get comfortable with. Fantastic. Okay. So we talked about uh, leading from the top. We talked about high performing teams. I, I would like to talk about leading yourself just for a few minutes and, and always sure. share, you know, leadership is every day. There's no day off of leading yourself. And one of the things I really try to pull out from my guests is, you know, share a daily a practice or something you do every day that helps you keep on track that might help maybe a viewer or listener uh, apply that in their everyday. So is there something that you do every day um, that helps you stay on track? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, I, I try to, to move every day. So I try to work out five or six times a week. Um, and whether that's a really hard workout um, or it's a walk or yoga or something like that, I really try to clear the cobwebs out of the brain by doing some kind of exercise. It keeps me sane. It helps me filter through all of the, the things that I've got to keep in my mind. And so it helps me when I need to be quiet and thoughtful because I've gotten all that energy out. The other thing I think is more directly related to getting ready to live up to the responsibility that I have at work. And that, that really is, and I, listen, I'm not perfect. You know, this is aspirational uh, a lot of the times, but it's really thinking about what kind of impact do I want to have, right? What's important? What are, everybody thinks about what are the things they need to get done, but I really try to think about, hey, who haven't I connected with? Who can I reach out to and check on them? And Am I living up to the standard that I would hold another leader to? Um, like I said, it's aspirational, but what I will often do is shoot a text. Hey, I'm thinking about you checking in. Can I do anything for you? And I try to reach out to every, the people who I know and have a working relationship with in the organization, you know, COVID and the work from home thing. I try to check on everybody on my team, not just those that I work with every single day directly. I try to check in to um, check in with some of our general managers and our area directors and see if there's anything that I can do for them because it is, you know, it's about them. And uh, I just try to really think about, hey, what do I want? Who do I want to reach out to today? And at the end of the day, that's where you grade yourself. You know, how well did I do 
And, you know, was I rude to anybody? Did I give people time? Um, did I do things the way I wanted to? And there are some days when I go, oh, I better call that person back and say, hey, let's try that again. So I just think for me, it's have, have I done my best? You know, having that conversation with myself. Have I really showed up today the way I wanted to? So it's this, the process for me of constant evaluation, which, you know, I don't know if that's an Italian thing, uh, a Catholic Italian thing or not, but it's a uh, constant evaluation and how can I be better? That's fantastic. I, you know, what I love about you and, and your leadership approach, you invest a lot of time in thinking and really being mindful. Um, you know, there's something pretty magical about getting a text or something personal like that, isn't there? Hey, I'm just checking on you. Um, that is, that's powerful. I always talk about, so for me, when I uh, started the CLIMB group, uh, I named it CLIMB uh, because I wanted to try to connect, lead, inspire, mentor, and build every day. Who, who can I connect with? Or how can mm -hmm. I better connect, right? How can I better lead all of those things? And so, um, I love how how you uh, how you how you put that uh, and the importance of thinking about how you can make impact. That, that's just so good. You've given a lot of advice uh, today, <laughs> and I I'm telling you, there is so much. I can't wait to go back and listen to this. Uh, but can you just like before we get into time to accelerate? Can you can you just share maybe some advice uh, that you would give just anyone? you know, up and up and coming into the business. Uh, maybe it's some advice you were given, uh, but what, what advice do you share today? Oh, the best piece of advice I got was don't roll your eyes in meetings. Yeah, I have a terrible poker face and people who work with me closely uh, will laugh at that because it's true. Um, I'm better at it today than I was, but that was the first piece of advice and the way I would translate that uh, for people today is really think about how you show up in a meeting, right? When you're sitting across the table from someone, um, do all those active listening things, uh, be present. Uh, cell phones and text messages make it hard right now to not be distracted, but really think about how you show up. And um, there isn't a conversation in, with Diane when dogs don't bark, so. Uh, hey, that's the real world we're in, Diane. That's just how <laughs> yeah. it is. That, that's good. Uh, the other piece of advice really on a more, a more serious note, you know, I started a group uh, at On the Border for uh, our high-performing female general managers. And it's called Women's Leadership Forum. You know, small brands don't often have deep enough pockets to send all their folks to Women's Food Service Forum, but that's a great organization of mentorship. So I, I started this group about four years ago um, and we were meeting two or three times a year and we would talk about, you know, managing self, managing others and understanding the business. And what I would tell anybody, but specifically women who are at the beginning of their journey 
is something I wish somebody would have said to me, and that is believe in yourself. Um, have the confidence in yourself that you know, you know your business. Um, it's okay to say I don't know when you don't, but have the confidence in yourself to know you're good enough to do the task ahead of you. I think for whatever reason, there was a book, you know, 15 years ago called Raising Ophelia, and it was about society's impact on young girls and their self-confidence. And as I've worked with women in, you know, every female executive that I've spoken with and every emerging leader who's been female, and, and me too, um, you know, there's this self-confidence challenge that women have where, you know, they think they have to be better than everybody else and, and have twice the experience of anybody uh, that of any role requires before they should raise their hand for an opportunity. And, you know, our, our guy friends aren't like that. If they have, they'll look at a, a job opportunity and they'll go, oh, I've got half of those years of experience. I think I can do that job. And I would just, you know, I tell my daughter, she's in her early 20s, who I think is brilliant, of course. I might be biased, but she is. Um, I would say, believe in yourself. Have the confidence to know that you're just as good or better than anybody else who might be wanting to do what you do and just go after it. Don't be afraid. Be brave. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I guarantee you there's somebody out there right now that needed to hear uh, that message. And that, that, was, that was powerful. I appreciate that. Okay, so we've got about five minutes to go on the show. <laughs> And okay. this is the fun part. I, I like to call it time to accelerate uh, with some uh, a few more questions. So here's the first question. Uh, would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? Oh, read a book. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. have any favorites, by the way? Oh, I've got a lot of guilty pleasures. Absolutely. Usually a Nora Roberts book or a John Grisham. But nice. yeah. Awesome. Malcolm, Outliers. I would tell everybody to read Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell. Amazing book. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes. What, what, uh, what energizes you? Oh, um, this will sound silly, but I just love being with my dogs, playing with them, taking them to the dog park, um, being silly. That's, you know, that's a reset for me every single day. That's fantastic. I have a, a good friend, Yvonne Freeman. Uh, she's the VP of Global uh, uh, Total Rewards. Um, and she had talked about, you know, hobbies versus, and she, she said, hey, you know what? I want to talk about things that energize me. And so uh, I, I love that. I love that. I have a dog <laughs> as well. I have a boxer, a boxer. And so um, that's fantastic. Okay. What about a favorite place to travel? Um, I mean, you've, you've done a lot of traveling, I'm sure, in your role. Is, is there a favorite place or a place you want to go? I'd love to go to Italy. Haven't been there. Um, 
favorite place for me is anywhere with a beach. I am a beach girl through and through. I'm going to say that's a, my most popular answer that I get. That's fantastic. Okay, here is the final question uh, for today. And that is, uh, right. Diane, so your 10-year-older self is at your door knocking today and you answer that door. What's she telling you? Something different at every phase of my life. Um, I think she's telling me, you know what? Um, save your money. And again, it's this believe in yourself thing. Believe in yourself thing. You need, I think you need to hear that. I need to hear that often. I'm glad you shared that. I was actually on a, uh, I was interviewing with uh, Ben Cross on a show uh, last week and we really got into conversation about the importance of believing. Uh, I, I started with believing in people uh, mm -hmm. and then it was also believe in yourself along the way. And, and um, so I, I appreciate you sharing that. This has been fantastic. I am absolutely, oh, thank you so the much. time goes by so fast. I mean, we, I could do this all day long. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, you're I, good at it. Well, okay. So um, how, if somebody wanted to learn more about you, they want to more learn about on the border, how could they connect with you? How's the best way? You know, I'm on LinkedIn. I think that that's a great way. Um, I, I would welcome if somebody wanted to email me at On the Border, that would be fine. Um, so I'm happy to give that information. Uh, but, you know, LinkedIn, I check it every couple of days. So message me on there and we can go, you know, we can go from there. Diane, I'm going to say you are definitely driving in the leadership lane. It, this has been an honor to have you on the show. And just, I just want to say, I appreciate you for sharing your, just your wisdom, your perspective. I am confident uh, that this is going to help a lot of people. And so just want to let you know, I appreciate that. And more importantly, I appreciate your friendship. Oh, thank you so much, Bruce. Uh, it's really great that you're, you're doing this and that you give back so much. You, you really epitomize paying it forward. And I'm so glad that we connected. Thank you so much. Awesome. Appreciate you.